All right. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 40 of Marathon Author. I'm James S. Aaron, and this is my weekly podcast, An Author Diary, where I share lessons I've learned and mistakes I've made so that hopefully you can learn and not make the same mistakes yourself. <laughs> it's been, um, today is a good example of how I've been feeling because I only got about five hours of sleep, but I did get up and write for two hours this morning. I went in to throw some boxes at FedEx for about four hours, and then I came home and took a shower and fell asleep <laughs> for for two hours. Um, I'm just kind of worn out, and it's indicative of last week, just how things have been. And I have to, I think, go easy on myself because there's been a lot of external factors that have been affecting my ability to get a lot of writing done. So when I kind of, I feel bad about leaving things hanging last week, I had mentioned that my, my wife was having some flu-like symptoms and, you know, this age that we're living in right now, the first time somebody says they, they feel sick, of course your mind goes to COVID. And so she did the whole telehealth thing, talked to a doctor. We had to go get her swabbed for strep throat because that was going around my area. And then also COVID where they shove the Q-tip up your nose and fortunately, it turned out that she was negative for both those things. She just didn't feel good. And we have a two-and-a-half-year-old, soon-to-be three-year-old. So when my, my, my when my wife is not feeling good, that means, you know, I pick up the slack and it gets into my writing time and my work time during the day, but that's just what has to be done, right? So I also was not getting up in the mornings like I needed to. There were three days that I... You know, my daughter gets up at 7.30, and that's really non-negotiable. I get up at 4.30 so that I can typically be writing by 5. And there were those three days I just, you know, the alarm went off, and I could not get, get myself out of bed. And I think there are a few factors that contribute to that. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't going to bed at the time that I needed to. I think each of those nights I stayed up until 11 or even midnight, and there's no way I'm getting up at 4.30 in the morning if I go to bed at midnight. I also have found that if I eat after, like, say, 7 p.m., you know, if I have that bowl of ice cream or something else in the evening, that tends to affect my sleep. And I don't know. I, I don't know if it's always been this way or just when I try to do something consistent, it a lot of these sort of little trigger things become a lot more apparent that weren't before. And... And so I found basically just that if I don't, you know, eat after six, it's easier to get up. And especially not having a sugar bomb like ice cream really helps me be able to get up. Um, I, I'm really impacted by sugar lately. You know, I've, I had mentioned that I stopped drinking alcohol and I feel like sugar has become, I've become much more sensitive to sugar. I don't know. I, I'm just feeling these things out. And I, I've never been a person who has paid a lot of attention to what my body is telling me in these sorts of circumstances. But when I'm trying to be consistent about something like getting up every day at 430, it becomes much more apparent. So take what you will from that. But I can definitely see the word count, the effect on my word counts, because last week I got a total word count of 10,548 words. And I had three days of that were only about 500 words. And so what that means was I didn't get up in the morning to write and then things came up throughout the day and I ended up grabbing like 
20 minutes to get some words down. And there are a couple of things that aren't great about that because I find that it's like going for a run when I used to, you know, run distances. Like you generally don't feel good the first 20 minutes, or at least I didn't the first 20 minutes of a run. And then once things finally start to settle in, then you feel, then you feel good. And I could carry that for, you know, miles, but I had to push through and get to that point. And I find that writing is pretty much the same. Like for me, that first thousand words is the hard part. And it's hard to get into the flow of the story, to get the characters back in my mind, to hear their voices and feel the scene and the setting. And so generally 500 words is progress. And I got that progress down, but I find that it creates like choppiness in the word flow. And so it's certainly not ideal. And so if I have anything to share with you from this last week, (laughs) A, it's, you know, don't beat yourself up if things are going on with your family, because that's something you can't control. All you can try and do is, is create the conditions for success, but sometimes stuff just gets in the way. You know, work is really beating you up, family gets sick, and when you have a family, you know, you're multiplying the opportunities for people to get sick and affect your ability to work. But it also means just how vitally important it is when you have time to write to, to use that time effectively. You know, don't play video games don't surf the internet. Don't, (laughs) don't do those other things that in the moment feel easier than writing. Because I know that I always feel better when I get up in the morning and I write and I have at least 3000 to 4000 words for the day. I feel awesome afterwards. And that's how I want to feel. It's like a workout where I got a good workout in my body is tired in a positive way. And I'm ready to, you know, basically just attack the day and I feel awesome. That's how writing in the morning makes me feel. And so everything else, even if other things in the day don't go great, I feel good when I get that done. And so that's how I want to feel all the time. So that's not awesome. But the upside is that I wrote every day, which is something that last year, there are definite periods where I I did not write during, you know, I'd have a streak of maybe two and three days where I didn't write. I have at least been writing every day. And so that means I'm keeping the project that I'm working on fresh in my mind. And that's also been a really positive and beneficial thing. So that at least is is a win for me that I'm gonna I'm gonna take that one. So <laughs> uh, my wife is negative. I think did I say that? Yeah, she's um, she did not actually have COVID or anything, and it's just another sign of the times. You know, knock on wood, we're we're fortunate right now that of course we have electricity and we have heat, unlike our friends in Texas. And I feel terrible for everyone who's out there. And if you're in Texas and somehow you're listening to this, I, my thoughts and feelings go to you and your family. And I hope, I hope you're going to be okay. Um, we were without power this time in 2019 for about five days. And it was just kind of dumb. Like we have a house up the street that has some beautiful historic oak trees, but one of those trees broke. Like we get ice storms in my area and the ice storms you know, being Oregon, we have a ton of trees everywhere. It's very green. That's one of the beautiful things about being here. But when there's an ice storm, it tends to sit on the trees and they can't carry the extra weight. And so the branches break and they knock down power lines. And that's basically what happened. I mean, we had a few transformers that blew up, not in my part of the city, but that's what happened as far as the most probable thing to happen is a tree will break from the ice and then knock down power lines. And so we lost our power the power line of my street got knocked down and we were without power for about five days. And that was just, you know, had to have my, um, 
the wife and baby went and stayed with friends and I stayed at the house and it's amazing how quickly your place of sanctuary becomes post-apocalyptic when there's no electricity and no heat and you're like huddling with a, a lantern and a candle <laughs> to stay warm. And so after that, I invested in a generator and I've got some solar panels and, you know, so worst comes to worst, we can at least, you know, heat one room of the house and we all might have to snuggle up in a bed. But, um, but yeah, that's no fun. And I definitely feel you, especially if you're in an apartment or something where you don't have control over how to heat your space. Uh, that's terrible. Other news, I I had talked last week, I think I spent maybe too much time talking about it, but there's a thing that has been on my mind of you know, adding a more stable income stream to our household because writing the writing money is good, but it's inconsistent. And I feel more kind of mentally safe when I know I have a certain amount of money coming in, coming in every month that I can depend on. And so I've been looking for a part-time job that would provide that, that also has the potential for benefits. Uh, because that's another thing about being self-employed with a family is that it's hard to find good benefits. And at least in my state, if you want to like take advantage of the state benefits, that creates a income ceiling that you can't, in Oregon, you can't make more than $36,000 as a family. And I would like to make more than $36,000. So so I've just been looking for different things. And I had applied for a job at the post office. I was finally able to talk with the local postmaster general who did confirm that that job could very likely be between 40 and 60 hours a week, even though it was advertised as a part-time job. And so I had to say that I would not be a good candidate for that job. And since then, it looks like things are going to become more permanent with FedEx, and I'll be eligible for benefits here pretty soon. And and so that's cool. And I, I enjoy FedEx. It's fun. It's fun to have a job where I just go and do a thing, you know, for however many hours, and then I'm done with it. I don't have to worry about it anymore. It's complicated enough to be interesting, and it keeps me moving. And But then once you're done, you're done. So that's nice. So that's that's good news. I'm excited about that. We've started looking at... You know, once things get settled down COVID-wise, we, we actually had a, a virtual walkthrough with a daycare for our daughter, and my wife is looking at, you know, how she would go back to work, and so we're starting to figure those things out so that we'll be much more stable, I think, this time next year, and we'll just have weathered this time of me being the, the sole source of income for the family. You know, it'll we'll be through it, and things will be good on the other side. And so part of, you know... <laughs> writing for the long term is just how how can you find these things to kind of support your sanity when you're pursuing a career that like a I I don't want to always be chasing the money when it comes to writing that's another thing I've just been thinking about and so how do I create the conditions for that you know maybe I'll have a project that I'm really excited about but it's just not going to pay well I would still like to be able to do that project I I like being a working writer I like the working aspect of it it is absolutely a job and it's a job that needs to be taken seriously and done consistently but also with the market and the audience in mind but then sometimes you are an artist and you'd like to do those artistic things and I've I've been feeling a little bit like it'd be nice to do something different even though the the books I'm doing I can count on them making a certain amount of income I'd like to maybe do a fantasy project or even a thriller project something like that so 
So we'll see. I'm trying to create, you know, lay the groundwork now so that a year from now I have the space to do that. And I'm not like some writers that I've, I've talked to who feel very much trapped by the genre they're in, that if they don't produce the kind of book that they need to on that consistent basis, they're going to lose their sole income stream. And that's not where I want to be. I, 10 years from now, I want to be able to look back and just kind of say I did a lot of different things. And it's something I've talked about if, if you're just jumping into the podcast is that for me, my important value with this life of writing and being mostly at home and working, transitioning from a full-time job to a part-time job and writing is having the freedom to kind of do what I want to do. And so that's, um, you know, obviously I'm not making as much money as I was before, but I get things that are of much more value to me, which is my time and time with my family and time to pursue the stuff that is interesting to me. So, so that's good. I'm, I'm feeling really positive about that. Another thing that happened this last week that threw a real wrench into stuff is that, you know, Sunday I had not gotten up like I wanted to. I made excuses in my brain and slept until the toddler woke up. And then in the afternoon, I had finally just settled down to do some writing. And I get a call from my mom, who lives about 20 minutes away, that she had gotten up on a chair to look through a uh, cabinet and fell off the chair. (laughs) And I hate starting these stories without having an ending. Fortunately, my mom is fine. But that was a day that I went down, you know, she wouldn't, if I had told her I was coming down and going to take her to the emergency room, she would have been really upset with me. So I didn't tell her I was going to do that. (laughs) We just got off the phone and then I went in the house, told my wife and got in the car and went down there. And then we spent, you know, the rest of the evening in the emergency room. And I think I got home probably around nine o'clock or something. So that was a day that was definitely shot for writing. And if I'd gotten up in the morning, I would have gotten my, my words in. So there you go. Writing early is the answer for me. (laughs) But I would say for you, find that consistent time that works for you. It's just for this place, this time in my life, if I don't at least block out those hours that I can control, everything else in my life is going to push in. And it's very difficult not to prioritize those other things that are important to me. You know, I, I have to be there for family. I have to be there for my daughter and for the other things it takes to, you know, support us basically. So, So yeah, uh, going into next week, I will absolutely, like when the alarm goes off, I kind of ask myself in my groggy brain, do you want to be a writer? Is this what you want to do? And the answer is, is yes. And when I can articulate that yes to myself, it's, I get up and I reminding myself again and again that I feel better when I get up, even in that moment when I'm tired and sleep is kind of pulling back at me. I know that I will feel better if I get up. <laughs> so that's the mantra I kind of repeat to myself. So, all right, this episode I want to talk about workflow because it's something that I've been thinking a lot and I thinking about a lot. And I think if you listen between the lines on everything that I talk about in general, it tends to be about trying to maximize workflow. And I am a person who focuses on systems if that's something you hadn't realized about me at this point, it might either frustrate you and you think everything I say is not useful to you. Um, but <laughs> what, I, what I've learned in life, I guess, between the army and everything else when it comes to family is that, you know, life is chaotic. Everything is chaotic. What is, you know, what's one thing we say, we always just say in the army and I'm sure other services say it as well. But the first thing to change when you cross the LD is the plan. You might as well just throw it out, Right. 
So there used to be a thing in every operations order that you would write called the commander's intent. And the idea behind that, usually it was just like two lines and it was not the mission statement, but it was a supporting element of the mission statement was this is what the commander wants to happen. And so you can have like, that is where the rubber meets the road. Right. And, and for me, I want like my intent with everything is to continue this lifestyle. Like I don't want to fail at it. I want to have the freedom to pursue projects that are interesting to me. And those projects right now are telling stories to an audience that enjoys them. It's also in a way, I think finding, finding my voice as I transition away from doing co-authored projects, but that's kind of a, a side thought that I've been, I've been focused, I've been thinking about in the back of my mind. But anyway, having that, knowing that's what I want to do and I want to be good at this, I want to maximize my ability to do it. I want to be productive. I don't want to burn out. I want to enjoy my life as a writer. <laughs> One of the things that I've has really become apparent to me is that writing is the kind of job that will just consume your life if you let it. And you have to set boundaries around it. Like you can't, you can't work on a project and then think, you know, while you have, if you have other, uh, things you need to do in your life, writing, it, it will consume your thoughts. The story will consume your thoughts. The characters will, you could sit in your office and work until 7 PM when you should have finished at five. And when those, you know, between five and seven, those are hours that belong to your family and you need to go spend that time with your family. Or even just, if you don't have a family, that time belongs to you. And so this is the kind of job that will expand as much as you let it expand. And I found that having positive systems helps keep all that in place and, and having, and all that comes into workflow of how you do those things. Something I I mentioned too, when I left my, my other job was that I enjoy starting a new job and learning about a new place and a system. I've always found that really interesting. And if you've ever looked into like franchising or, you know, the whole concept of business franchising is someone creates a process for a business that generates income and then they sell that process to other people who then do the work of hiring people and running the restaurant or whatever. But it's coming up with that that process in the first place that is kind of the key element of of success there. So so let's say, you know, you want to be a writer. You want to tell stories even even then, there's a built-in question of what is the workflow to get from point A to B? And do you want to write short stories? Do you want to write novels? Those two things, or novellas if you want, but those two things have different workflows involved and different amounts of work that go into them. Me, I write novels. So it's taken a long time and a lot of study of the different kinds of structures that are out there, the different kinds of character arcs, how world building works, how a novel communicates information to create basically a shared dream that you are inviting a reader to come into and you want that dream to continue without snags all the way to the end. Well, you can, you can kind of stumble into that. Like I'm not, I don't want to bag on people that, um, don't use outlines because for some folks that is the best way to do things. For me, I find that if I don't have an outline and a plan for what I'm going to do, then I tend to stumble around and it makes that, that dream, that process of the story much harder to maintain. Like I can, 
you know, figure things out as I go, but then I have to go back from the beginning and do a lot of work, basically taking that raw thing that I just threw up, if you're imagining it as a statue, if I was just kind of throwing material onto the statue, it kind of has a shape when I'm done and I have to go back and do all the fine tuning to get it to where I want it to be. Well, that's a process. It's a, it's a workflow to get there and knowing, knowing what you need to do kind of creates the steps to, to create the project. Okay. So, so, okay. We know that writing, we'll use a novel as the example. You can get really granular about it. And I'm fortunate because I have, I have a mentor named Eric Witchie who might be one of the most, um, detail oriented writers I've ever met. And he was one of the first people that I had really learned from who broke writing down in a very systematic way to say that like he knew exactly when it came to writing a short story, he knew exactly how many hours it would take him to write it because he knew how many hours, how many words an hour he could write. He knew when he was most effective as a writer because he had put effort into figuring out when it's easiest for him to drop into that focus state, um, flow state when it comes to writing. And he had even, there was a time my, my first writing group, the Wordos, it had a lot of folks that were part of the university of Oregon, especially the psychology department. And they even had a grad student come and put diodes on people's heads and measure their brain waves when they were writing. They did some focused writing sessions to get a sense of where they were when they dropped into flow state. And so he had, he knew very well, like where his body was, how it felt, how it, you know, when his mind got into that state, he could tell how he felt when he got there so that he would take that information into other writing processes and really be able to maximize that. And that was even before, you know, now we have things like, um, you know, different websites you can use that will play music to help you get into flow state. There's so many resources out there to help you do it if it's something that you're not used to. But having that information helps you figure out your workflow. So I'm, I'm jumping around a little bit, but knowing the steps it takes to make the thing, so the thing in this case is a novel, now we're going to create the conditions to do it. So what is my workflow every day when I come out to work? I, I outline, I know what I need to do during that given, that given day and that given time. So I have two hours to write. I know this is what I need to write. So I have my scenes mapped out. I know what my characters are doing. I have a general concept of what is going to happen during that time that I'm working. And then for me, I've created a place where I can write. So I've got an office that I built out in my backyard. I come out to the office. I do certain steps as far as like turning on the lights, getting the heat going, getting, you know, turning the lap, turning the, the computer on. I, I use Word or right now I'm using the website forthewords.com. And so steps in that workflow, when I sit down, those are things I do to get into the state where, okay, it's time to write. You know, I really like the doing the morning streaming because it creates a little more pressure as far as I want to be out here at 5 a.m. I want to start Streamlabs. I want to enter the information into the different fields that I need to, once I start the, the stream, each of those is a step in the process that gets me to the point where it's time to work. And if you were a more, um, I don't know, spiritual person, I guess you might call that a ritual. And there are some writers that will talk about having a ritual that they do 
when they write where they they want to burn incense or burn a candle or meditate or at least just sit quietly while they think about what they're going to write or maybe they'll start out by handwriting whatever it is to kind of summarize what they're going to do for that writing session but that is part of that workflow process a thing that can be replicated each time to get them to success so some some aspects of workflow are that it can be replicated it can be measured and assessed and then typically you have a product at the end of the workflow that you can you can look at and say yeah okay i i did these things to my workflow if i made different little tweaks i say i got out to the office at you know 6 a.m as opposed to 5 a.m was it easier for me to work or harder for me to work but i've created a process that can then be assessed in my you know in my project and right now you might be saying well that's what i always do how is that anything special well, compare this to a person who has no, like, I want to write a book, but I have no plan around how I do that. I'm just going to take my laptop and go to a coffee shop, and I, I get in the car, I drive around until I find a coffee shop I like, or the coffee shop I like is too busy and I can't get the table I like, so I go to another one, and now I've spent, you know, 30 minutes doing this, I wait in line to get my coffee, I sit down, I open the laptop, and now I can't... I can't focus or, you know, whatever. I open up a pro, you know, open up my laptop to work. Oh no, my laptop's battery is almost dead. Now I need to find someplace to plug it in. I spend time doing that. I open up Word. Um, I've just got a blank slate staring at me and I don't know what to do. So you can see how you've kind of create by not having a workflow, you've created all these sort of obstacles in your way to success. Like, I think one of the things that for me I've identified is that the hard part is that blank slate, the, the blank Word document. So everything I can do to minimize the obstacle of the blank document is going to help me create better, create more work, or at least get something on the page that I can work with. And that, that's the other thing. It's like internalizing that what you put on the page is by no means the finished product. Like we're just getting material onto the the sculpture so that we can then go back and fine-tune it but we would like to get this the material on there to at least be something that resembles what we want in the end right <laughs> but another thing with that blank word document like i've talked about having templates that i use for each for each progress um for each project so like when i open up that word document it's not completely empty like i've got a template that i use for each thing and this is something i learned from mal cooper when she does her aeon 14 books like basically every aeon 14 book kind of moves to the next book right so everything from the front matter to the back matter to having the different chapters kind of set up so when you open up that document it's not blank there are bones there there's a process that all I have to do then is start filling in the story and it's already taking shape in my mind. It's already kind of a thing that exists. And that's another thing that as part of that process, you can think of a, that story as sort of existing out in the, you know, ether above your brain. If it's just floating out there for you to grab it and, you know, make it real in the world. But if there's already something to hang it on, then I find it's that much easier to, to start right if you know mal uses chapter headers and that's something actually that maybe that would be a good question for other writers at some point because some writers like jeff cheney and athon books um 
Steve and Rhett, they they don't use chapter headers, and so just numbers, and that's often because it kind of takes more effort to come up with chapter headers than um, than they're worth, and readers tend to just skip past them. But AN14, Mal always uses chapter headers, and I've actually found that I use chapter headers. I like to do it because I kind of use them as as plot points, right? I'll just fill those in as, as the chapter headers, and then I go back and I find little interesting snippets from the chapter, and I replace that with you know what used to be there as the slug for the chapter header. <laughs> but it's it's much easier to kind of envision the fact that this book exists. This book will be done. This story is a thing that is real in the world. When I've got that word document and I've got you know some sixty chapters and each one of those has has at least a plot point as its header. Well, when I get to that, like there might not actually be anything in that chapter, but it sort of already exists in my mind in a way, and I find that to be really really helpful. But that's that's the workflow, and then that's so we kind of started about that that beginning of getting to your place where you want to work, a consistent place. Now, even some some folks might say, I, I really need to switch things up. I don't like to write in the same place every time. Like, okay, if that's part of your process, that's that's fine because you've actually created now a data point that you can compare. Like, I get more words done at this Starbucks than I do at this Starbucks. Or maybe it's better for me to go to the library rather than Starbucks or or whatever. But if you have, if you do the same kind of work at each place well now you can compare things and if you if you get to the starbucks and you open up your laptop you know or you've you've gotten a laptop that has a battery that lasts at least three hours <laughs> something like that however long your writing session is going to be so you're not hunting for someplace to plug in and then all you have to do is turn on the laptop open word or open that website and start working well now we've kind of reduced that friction right um, one thing I'll say about using for the words, which I realize is not ideal, is that if I don't have access to the web, it doesn't it doesn't work. So I've found some kind of workarounds for that. And for whatever reason, the the website for the words does not play nice with any of my. I don't have any iOS devices, but if I tried to like write on my phone and I wanted to write directly into the website, it doesn't work. It jumps all over the place, and something about their web app doesn't play nice with. Uh, the the mobile version of Chrome or Firefox, so basically I will I'll use Word on my phone and I will just write directly into that and I I almost always have an internet connection with my phone, but even if I don't I can just write into Word on my phone and then save that and you know upload it later. I have found that I've become much more uh, in the back like it's easier for me to write if I know the work is being backed up all the time. <laughs> That's one thing I really like about the free write traveler is that if you have an internet connection, it's backing things up all the time. And it feels a little, a little worrisome if I don't have an internet connection and it's just being saved to the device. And it's funny because I spent so much of my career, well, I shouldn't say of my career, but like, you know, when I first started using computers and using the internet, the thing that you were writing existed only on the screen until you chose to save it. And then it would save it to a sketchy, you know, when I first started five and a quarter floppy and then um, three and a half inch floppies. And then you got to, you got to trust that little magnetic disc not to, you know, destroy whatever you were working on. (laughs) Um, And now, you know, you don't feel comfortable unless it's been saved to the cloud and replicated across, you know, 50 different servers somewhere. Um, But whatever you need to do to reduce that friction so that you can get to the thing that's important because the thing that's important is the story in whatever application you're using, right? 
So, so breaking down, I feel like I'm jumping around a little bit, but your workflow is breaking down those steps it takes to get to that point where you're creating the work. You know, if this was McDonald's, it would be having that burger line set up so that you can, you know, pull the patty out of the freezer, heat it up, put it on a bun, you know, all the steps it takes to come up with the, the Big Mac at the end. I almost said Whopper, um, just to, just to mess around a little bit, but the, to get that thing at the end, like having those steps in the process and then thinking about how, so how all those things work and how they work for you and how maybe even you need to document this or if it, if it's a process that can be documented because potentially like the writing piece, you can't hand off to anybody else. Like that really doesn't work well, but an aspect of it, like when I started working with Mal in AM 14, like we actually worked in Scrivener for a long time and I would generate a word document and then I would end up trying to make that word document fit what was her existing word flow workflow and kind of realized that I was just recreating a lot of work. And that's another thing to think about is the concept of rework. And, you know, in FedEx, like they talk about, you don't, you don't want to touch a package more than, more than once, right? If you have to send it down, like you scan, take it out of the canister, scan it, send it down the line. If there's a hiccup along the way, and now you have to take that same package and have four different people touch it to put it back in a canister because you couldn't get it on a truck and deliver it, that's a failure. And same thing, if you have to cut and paste the same you know, words five different times, if you have to move them between different applications three times, um, as far as manuscripts go, you're creating opportunities for mistakes in the manuscript, and that's not ideal. And so it's really not ideal for me to work in for the words and then cut and paste things into Word, but I'm, I'm taking that. That's something I'm just doing right now because for the words actually helps me so much. Um, but for the words does introduce some mistakes into the, the manuscript. Sometimes I've talked about the weird little circle degree symbols that end up in spaces, uh, for whatever reason, when I cut and paste from the, the web browser into word, and I don't know why it does that. I can't search for them. I have to search visually for them because they just show up as spaces in word. It's the weirdest thing, but, but those are things to think about. Like if you're working, like I really like Scrivener. I think Scrivener is useful, but if you're working from Scrivener to then recompile a document in Scrivener, export it as Word, and then start editing and manipulating it in Word, you could be introducing extra complexity that you don't actually need, and it's creating the possibilities for more mistakes in the work. But being able to replicate that process if you bring in another writer to work with you is something that can just make it easier. And so when Mal and I talked about that and she was like, why don't you just use the word template? And it kind of hadn't sunk into me, like how valuable it was for her to have that word template because she writes directly into it. And then basically once her editor goes through it, that same word document that she was working in, the editor goes through it, um, they work together on it and then everything's good. She can basically just upload that directly to Amazon and, and the product is available for sale and for readers. So she's, you know, from a process perspective, she's eliminated steps and eliminated complexity from the process. Unfortunately, Word is Word will do all the things you want it to do if you use headers and use it properly. Kind of like Scrivener, so you can move things around if you want to. But again, you've eliminated some of that complexity. And then if you need to describe the process to someone else, you have an easy way to do that. So, so the first part of it 
you know, thinking of your work as a system, as a system that creates a product, and then the how, the when, and the where that of you work, of working, the tools that you use to work. So, you know, the last episode I talked about the tools I'm using in 2021, but what are the tools that you need? And so if it's primarily Word, if it's an internet connection, if we even, we even pull back and, you know, it's a laptop, it's, it's a place to work. It's like, those are all tools as part of the process. But then, you know, what applications, what do you need an internet connection, all these, all these kind of things, how you organize the materials. And so once you, like, if you, if you're still working on your first book, you don't have to organize a lot of things around it. But if it is something where you've done a lot of research, organizing all that stuff for the book, but then once you're done and you're getting into the upload process, if you're going to self-publish it, if you're going to send it to an editor or a publisher, then how are you tracking the different versions of a manuscript? And so that gets to even thinking about workflow with how do I name the manuscript? Like if I'm sending my manuscript to someone who processes a ton of manuscripts, it's probably best to, you know, you might just have it as like the name of the book and you don't really think about that because it's the only version, it's the only one of those that you have on your computer. But if you're sending it to someone, it's probably better, you know, for me, like I'll put my, my last name, the title, and then the date of that, that manuscript version that I'm sending to them. And then when they send it back to me, they can redate it. Or like in my last job, we would have the person's initials and then the fact that they edited it. I mean, I, I let, I find it cleaner to have, you know, the name of the person, like the name of the document, and then the last time it was edited. And yes, Word will tell you the last time it was edited, but I just find it easier to see that in the, the title of the document. But again, it doesn't matter. Like, what is your system? What works for you? Because like, if you hire an editor, you're in charge, right? And so you can tell them, this is how I prefer to name documents. This is what works for me. Because then when you're on your sixth book and you want to go back to book three and look at some things, how you've organized those files is what's going to make that possible or impossible for you. So how are you organizing these files on whatever computer you're using? So do you have, you know, I get like kind of twitchy when I see somebody's desktop on their computer and it's just covered in files. That makes me kind of crazy. Like I actually cannot work in a laptop that, or a, a PC that has anything on the desktop. I like the desktop to be clean because I, I do everything, you know, currently I've talked about using OneDrive, but then I organize OneDrive by my file folders and then the file folders have, you know, my work in them. And I actually organize those by year typically. So 2021, it, it kind of varies. Like if it's random stuff, I'll do it by year. If it's writing focused stuff then I have, um, I have my writing folder, which I could call that something better, but you know, writing and then series titles and then breaking down each, you know, each folder by series and then each book project within the series. And then in, in those folders for each book, that's where you can get the different versions of the manuscripts. If I had different research, I did ideas for covers, cover versions, audio, things like that. That's where you'll find all those um, documents. And so breaking all that down makes it really easy to find it if I need to go back and find it. And it also organizes everything for backups so that it's really easy to both back it up locally. And then if I want to quickly, 
you know, right now I'm using OneDrive, but if I was going to go back to Dropbox or some other service that may pop up in the next, you know, two years or whatever, it's really easy to just move that thing over to the new backup service and it's right there. So there's none of this. If someone asks me where a, a file folder, where a file is or something like that, it's very easy for me to find it. And that helps me, um, both kind of organizes my brain, you know, as the, as time goes on and, and series become more complex or I move on to a different series, I know exactly where to find those files. And then it's very easy to open up the file, control F, look for that thing, that character that did something and boom, there's the information that I was looking for most of the time. Sometimes I have to go searching for it again, but, but that makes it that much easier. So that's part of your workflow, the organization of your product. And so I find it's, it's much harder with things like your website, but it, this is actually where I learned to do it was web design because, you know, every, every server has typically a file system and the file system is organized in a certain way. And, you know, if you grew up using DOS, which not a lot of people have done anymore, you know, you're, if you're always used to using a graphical interface, your brain doesn't necessarily think in these sort of nested file trees. But for me, that's the easiest way to do things. And and I certainly don't want to denigrate anybody that, you know, if your files are all up on your, your desktop and that's what works for you, that's cool. But <laughs> I recommend like whatever way you have, have some way to organize those files so that you can know where to find them in the future. And yeah, search has gotten way better. Like you could dump all those files in Google Drive or something and then just go to the search bar and type in the name of what you're looking for. But that's where if you have that unique title and you know whatever way it is that you used to organize your stuff so that you can find it when you search. If that works, awesome. I have had varying degrees of success between Google Drive and OneDrive is pretty good, but my OneDrive is not nearly as full as my Google Drive had been. You know, Google Drive had like 10 years of stuff in it and it was reaching the point where like I knew I had a file. I knew I had saved a thing and when I went to search for it, it no matter what search term, I could not come up with the magic search term to find it. And that was incredibly frustrating. But <laughs> once you have that down and you have that system and it's a thing that you could articulate, well, then it's that much easier to hand off to another person. So if you reach the point where you want to bring in other writers or you want to hire an assistant, well, now you can break down that workflow, give it to them, and they can do that work for you. And it's saving you you can, you can focus on the thing that's important, which is creating the words, because that's the thing that, you know, creates the income, right? So organizing your materials, organizing, you know, if, if you were to think about your PC as like, if you're a carpenter, think about it as your workbench, all of your tools are in a place where you can easily see them. They all go back in the same place every time. It's very easy to clean your desk and, and sit down and do the thing that you want to do. You know, you're not sitting down at the desk and being distracted by a bunch of things that get in the way. My new frustration is, you know, this even just happened with Audacity when I went to record this podcast. And I know I can turn this off, but I also like to keep up on updates. So it's kind of a catch 22, but I know what I want to say. I turn on Audacity, I get my microphone going, and then it prompts me to do an update. And it's like, no, that's not what I want to do right now. <laughs> so the tool is working against me. But anyway, Knowing this workflow is, for me, helps make everything that much that much easier and smoother to get to the final product at the end, which is the book. And then the, the last step would be, um, you know, and getting that last step at the end is how we replicate success over and over and over again. Because once you finish your first book, well, now it's time to do the next book. And it's time to think about what works for you, right? 
what works for someone else is great and you can learn from that. And from everything I'm saying here, you'd be like, James, that's cool, but I don't do it that way. Like, awesome. I, I just recommend that you think about it. Because for me, like, I don't think of myself as an incredibly neurotic person. Maybe I've been shaped to be this way over my career because I've just found that things are easier when they are organized this way. <laughs> especially if something breaks or somebody makes a mistake or something doesn't work, then at least you can articulate when you went back, you know, five steps. Okay. This thing happened. This was the point of failure and this is why it didn't work. And I'm not going to do that again next time because I would like to be successful. Right. So, you know, and maybe I, when I hear myself talking about getting up in the morning, like I, I think to myself like that sounds kind of neurotic, but it's part of my workflow. And if I recognize a failure point where I ate ice cream at 8 p.m. because I probably had low blood sugar and wasn't drinking enough water or something, and I was craving ice cream, well, then <laughs> that could be the thing that made it really hard for me to get up at 4.30 when I wanted to. That's a workflow. And they kind of, they're all, for me, I see everything in my life as a kind of workflow. Like, why didn't I mow the lawn when I needed to? You know, why didn't? Why did I forget to let my chickens out of the chicken coop um, when I was dealing with my daughter at 7.30 in the morning and I needed to get out of the house by 8? You know, just little things like that. I think of all these things as steps. And while I don't always write down all those steps, they are things that could be replicated in the future to get to where I want to be. (laughs) It's because, again, I want to replicate success and then I want to be able to measure and improve. And something that target used to say all the time is what cannot be measured cannot be improved. And target did not come up with that idea. I, that quote can be attributed to someone. I can't remember exactly what, but the fact is if you just are doing, if if you're not, if you're not thinking critically about your process and you have success and you could very well have success, that's awesome. But if you try to replicate that success, it could be much more difficult. And Go back, go to Amazon and look at how many authors came out with a book one that did very well. And, you know, in the traditional world, they they love that first time success story, even if it's not really true. But then did that person actually write a book two or not? And that's always a really interesting thing to look at. Or if they did write a book two, was it like book one? Was it consistent? Like, or was it something completely different? And then did they write a book three? And yeah, we could blame traditional, I'm probably mixing things up because you could blame traditional publishing. Like if book two doesn't sell as well, the person loses their contract. Did they stop writing? Who knows? But that consistency (laughs) from project to project to project is a thing that will be much easier when you have an easy to follow workflow that, um, that can help you along the way. Cause when you're not motivated and you don't want to get up or you sit down and you're not quite sure what you want to write, well, having a workflow makes it that much easier to get the product out. I think it also comes back to this is a job. It's a profession. I approach it professionally. I, everything about it, I can, I'm serious about it, even though I, I try not to take myself seriously, but it's something that I just have to accept about myself that I am a relatively serious person. I'm very literal when it comes to literary things like writing. Ha ha ha. Um, but I do tend to be like, I take it seriously and I want to be good at it. I also don't want to destroy my brain trying to do something that very literally makes people crazy. So, so that's why I think about it in this way. If there's something that's stressing me out, I want to figure out why that is and what parts of it are stressing me out. There's, I really don't like getting to the end of a project and realizing I have a deadline 
that's four days away and I'm still 20,000 words short of where I needed to be. Like I've recognized that as a failure point. And so I don't want to be there. (laughs) And so I know that if I write a certain number of words every day, I won't, I should not be at that point. And if it does happen, like say I get to where I thought was going to be an endpoint, and I haven't finished my story and I still have, you know, 40,000 words to get to, to, to round out a story arc. Well, I probably need to look back at my process for outlining because I made a mistake somewhere and I didn't account for how that story really needed to be told. And those are things that I, I learn along the way. You know, the quote that I put on the back of the, the novel workbook was, you know, by Gene Wolfe, you don't learn how to write a novel, you learn how to write each novel. And, and so that process is something that, you know, you have to try and fit into each special, each special book that comes along. So, so, okay. I hope this conversation is helpful. Think about workflow. Think about what your personal workflow is, because for me, like I said, I take this seriously. I am a writer. I think it helps me internalize being a writer, a person who produces consistent quality work. And that's the kind of person that gets contracts and gets paid, right? And has an audience that can depend on them. Because like I've said, when you start a series or you even publish book one, you're making a promise. And there's nothing that readers hate worse in this marketplace and this time in publishing history, I think, to read a book one and love it and fall in love with a writer and then book two never comes out or book three never comes out or the the series is never finished. That is what readers hate. And so don't do that to your readers. (laughs) For me, doing this self-reflection is how I help make sure that that's not going to happen. And, you know, the story I've been telling with A Fire Upon the Worlds and how long it took me to get that book done, part of that was, I I think, a failure in process. And that book had not been outlined as well as it should have been. And knowing where the story needed to go, which, you know, looking at Mal and I are even kind of relooking our communications and our planning around the next two books in that series so that it's very clear where that series needs to go so that uh, we can get it done on time next time because I I don't want to do that again. So, (laughs) all right. What's going on for next week? Uh, I've kind of let go of my goal of doing things on more stuff on social media. I realize that I just don't have the headspace for that. So any of that talk that I had about Instagram, I let that go. I don't look at Instagram, so it's just not important to me right now. In fact, I even took Facebook off my phone because I found I was sort of just scrolling needlessly on Facebook when I should have been focused on something else um, or other things. And so I, it's funny, I do feel slightly disconnected from, you know, my author community when I'm not using Facebook, but it does make it where when I sit down at the PC, I can check Facebook for 10 minutes catch up, be done, move on to the next thing. And another thing that I did, which I want to go into this next week and basically just not play any video games at all. I Maybe cold turkey isn't the right way to do it, but I was finding that Cyberpunk 2077 is amazing. I think if you want to play it on PC, I would recommend you do that right now, especially the, the price is coming down. Well, I take that back. If you need to finish a project, do not play Cyberpunk 2077. <laughs> but the world of that game is so amazing. I was finding that it was just kind of enjoyable to like just walk around in the city and just do random stuff, but that was not conducive to my productivity. So <laughs> it's a 70 gig download. So I wasn't going to just delete it, but I went ahead and just zipped the file and then deleted it so that, um, 
it's not easy to open up. It would take me time. There'd be like a significant obstacle to get over to want to play that game. So I'm taking that off the plate because we're getting into crunch time. Not crunch time necessarily. I've still got a good amount of days for the Vagabond Space Series, but I need to stop wasting time playing games. So that is a big change for next week. And I really want to just recommit to getting up every day. And I maybe I say this every time, you'll get tired of it, but that might communicate how I'm struggling with it. So <laughs> get up in the morning, right in the morning. Streaming is definitely helping with that. So if you're around on Facebook and you see me streaming, uh, please jump in and say hi. I, I can't do a lot of, it, it's kind of awkward to talk, to try and talk while I'm writing, but I'll definitely chat back and say hi and that kind of thing. But that's been probably the biggest impact on my word counts. Like when I see on my big word count days, those are days that I, I did streaming. So that's a win and I want to keep replicating that, uh, that process. So I'm just going to keep doing that. I've got some changes I want to make to the novel workbook and those are basically done. I just need to upload them. So I'm going to get that done. And part of this new thing with, with FedEx is just kind of settling into getting up in the morning, doing my writing, taking care of my daughter, and then going to that job for a couple hours, then coming back, like getting used to that new rhythm of our days and definitely don't want anybody else to get sick. So <laughs> staying healthy, that's on the list. But, but yeah, I just, I hope to come back next time and be able to tell you about some really solid word counts. That's my focus right now. Okay. Well, I hope this was, this use was useful. It's not something I thought about when I first started, you know, writing, writing seemed really random and it seemed like, you know, you sit down and kind of wait for the muse to hit you. And I just started to realize like the professional writers that I was, that were helping me and mentoring me were sharing all these little tidbits without really kind of connecting all the dots of how they, they do certainly depend on the, the quote unquote muse, but they have all these methods they use. Um, like Eric Witchie would have what he called story catchers. Well, that's Nina Hoffman also has story catchers and she'll have lists of, they both do this, but for different genres, like say for science fiction, they might have a page that had a list of different story ideas on it. And so you would have like a character type, a setting, a plot outline, and then roll a 20 sided die and just select them from the list. And then that would give them those three things, those three seeds of a story. And then they would take all the knowledge they had about how to, okay, my character is a goblin in, you know, a cyberpunk setting with a, a heist quest. And all right, well, let's start thinking about that. And that, that was the thing that would get their mind working. And that was their process to then sit down and write a short story. And it's amazing. I've been in workshops with Nina, especially, and she's, she must, she has to have written thousands of stories at this point, but she will just sit down with those three things or maybe four things. If you add in a couple other elements and, and write a short story. And some stories are obviously better than others. Some are just the beginning that then she workshops, but that's, that's her process. And in the end, she has a short story that she turns around and sells. That's harder for me. I haven't put as much work into that because I'm focused on, on novels right now, but I wish I had that skill and paying attention to other authors workflow, I think can be really valuable as well because anybody that tells you that they just sit down and the muse enters their brain, I, I think they're full of crap or they're obviously just not, I mean, I don't want to totally judge people, but 
it's like a mechanic just saying they opened up your hood and randomly fixed your car. Like, you know that's that's not how it works. A mechanic has a process, right? They talk to you. They hear what's going on. They open the hood. They run the car. They listen to it. They check fluids. They check the they check for error codes, like all these things you do that are part of getting to that end state, right? <laughs> and writing is no different. So at least for me, at least that's the advice I could give you is that being systematic about it helps you get it done if that's your goal. If what you want to do is really just follow your muse and figure out what comes out of the ether when you just sit sit around, I mean, I, that's possible too. It just doesn't work for me. So <laughs> you can write me and tell me I'm, I'm full of it. Um, james at jamesaron.net but I hope this is valuable and it's definitely helped me kind of think even as I'm talking about it think through some things that I've been doing and and crystallize some processes that I've had so as I move into the rest of this year and I've talked about the big goals I have like goals you reach a goal through process for me like you don't reach it through hope you reach it through creating the conditions for success and workflow is how you do that so the other thought I would like to leave you with came out of a discussion I had this week is How are you being a lion of your own work? How are you being your biggest cheerleader? And when I talked about having big audacious goals for your work, what are those goals? What are those dreams? And how are you unapologetically pursuing those dreams with your work? How are you trying to be awesome and to be the best at what you do and to not be afraid to say, I am the best at what I do. I am award worthy. I am willing to stand up and say that my work is great. Because uh, I think as writers, at least me, I can be overly critical of my work when readers love my work and I have to acknowledge that and be grateful for it. But And also stand up and say that what I'm doing is good and I should do more of it. <laughs> How are you doing that for yourself? Like what is the best thing you've written? And, and don't be afraid to say it. How are you being a lion for your work just think about that mgm lion just roaring ah you know for your work how are you doing that so all right thank you for listening and i will uh, i'll talk to you next week all right later mm-hmm.